All right, all right. We're wrapping up our uh, Who Cares series this morning where we have been uh, discussing this idea of sharing Jesus uh, with those in our world in a way that is not weird, <laughs> right? Like that sometimes we feel that a little bit here. And so we've talked about this idea that, man, it all starts with prayer and that we know we have to have the Holy Spirit working, that he's instrumental and in moving in ways that maybe we have no clue about. Uh, we've talked about this idea that we need to be honest and open and authentic so we can develop some really healthy relationships with those around us. And we also recognize that we got to be intentional. We got to do fun things like eat together so that we can get to know the people that are in our world a little bit better. And so this morning, what we want to do is we just want to give you guys a resource. We want to give you something that, that everybody can use and, in fact, is uniquely shaped by you. This isn't about tips and tricks. It's not a marketing campaign. There is no secret sauce to any of this kind of stuff. In fact, the most important thing about this resource is you. See, this past week, uh, we've got a little Google Home screen. Does anybody have that at their house? Those little like screens, maybe you've got an Alexa. We've got a little Google Home, and my wife set it up for a three-year-old so that she could live stream with an astronaut at the International Space Station who was reading the children's book, Good Night Moon. Anybody read Good Night Moon to their kids? Yeah, my daughter loves that book. And so she was all set up at our kitchen counter with her little book and some papers and some pens that she was kind of drawing as they were telling her to do all sorts of different stuff. Just loving hearing this story from millions of miles away. And then after that, we ate, ate dinner. And as soon as dinner was done, she went and she grabbed a condensed version of The Lion King and came up to me and had me reading it. And by reading it, I mean every single page, she stopped me and went, who's that, who's that, who's that, who's that, right? Like all the time, okay? So we did that for a while. And then uh, it was uh, getting close to bedtime, so she took her bath, we're tucking her in bed, and she asked me to uh, tell her the story of Pete the Cat and his white shoes, right? Which is this like sing-songy book all about resiliency that we get to do together every single night. Man, this little girl loves stories, just loves stories stories all of the time. She will get sucked into a story about a, about a caterpillar or a Bible story about Daniel in the lion's den. And we go through it so many times. She's just memorized them. She can't read, but she's memorizing it. She's just quoting along with me the entire time. And we love it because then we can use these stories later on to, to pour more Jesus into her, tell her about things like resiliency in her life. And we do that because we recognize that story is powerful. Story is powerful. It, it connects. It teaches. It, it captivates. It's something that we all hear, and it's something that we all share. We all have a story that we're in the midst of, and our story is growing and changing all of the time. And as Christ followers, man, our story is unique, and that our story is not really about us, but our story is about Jesus. In fact, I would argue that the most important thing that you can do, the most powerful resource that you have with sharing Jesus with other people is your story, your story. And so we're going to spend some time this morning looking in John chapter nine. As Rick said, we got the North Point app there. You can follow along on that this morning right there. It says this week's talk. Uh, but we're going to look here where Jesus is hanging out in Jerusalem during what is called the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's this celebration where people would uh, create and kind of live in these leafy shelters to remember that God had protected the nation of Israel while they were in the wilderness. And they would celebrate and give thanks during their harvest season. And it's during this time that, that Jesus goes around and he's teaching that he is the living water. 
And the Pharisees are trying to trap him. And so that story of the woman in adultery, caught in adultery, takes place. And Jesus evades that moment. And, and he, he's made some claims that he's the son of God. And it really gets the Pharisees mad. And so they're going to stone him in the temple. But Jesus is sneaky, so he kind of goes out the back a little bit and sneaks away. And it's on his way out, as he's, he's leaving and kind of fleeing the scene a little bit there, that they encounter a blind man. And that's what we're going to pick up here in John chapter 9. It says this, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not, this, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. We must work the work, works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Okay, this is a little bit of a crazy encounter right here, right? Like, there's a lot of things that are happening and being said. And, and first of all, we see the disciples are, are going with Jesus on their way out, and they pass this blind beggar on the street, and they just ask him, hey, who sinned that this guy's blind, Jesus? Like, what's the story with this guy over here, which is kind of rude, right? A little bit, like you're passing the blind beggar, like, hey, what's with this guy over here? It's a little weird to me, but uh, it was a common Jewish belief at the time that sin issues before birth had, were the result of, of sin in, or, or physical issues before birth were a result of sin either from parents or grandparents or some sort of sin that had occurred before the child was born. And so they would have defects or physical issues. And so for the disciples, they're just curious, hey, what happened that God had like punished this guy? What's going on here? What's the story there? And Jesus in turn just kind of takes that way of thinking and just flips it right on top of his head. And he tells them, look, there's no sin issue from this man or his parents, but rather God was going to use this man's blindness to be glorified because of Jesus. And at times as we read through the Bible and we translate, like first century Greek to English can feel a little bit clunky at times. And when we read through this, it feels like Jesus is saying, hey, there's not any sin issue that caused this guy to be blind as a punishment, but rather God blinded him so that he could be glorified, which kind of feels a little weird, right? That God just decided, I'm going to make this guy blind for years for God's glory. Like, that, that just doesn't fully sit really well at times with some of us. And if we left there at verse 3, that might feel more like the case. But when we jump into verses 4 and 5, it shows us that Jesus is saying, hey, this is no sin issue that he's being punished for. But rather, God has sent me here at this very moment to heal this guy so that other people would see how great God is. This guy's not blind because he did something wrong. He's not blind because God decided to blind him. He is blind because the world is simply broken by sin. And sometimes bad things happen simply because we live in a world that has been broken by sin. But the beautiful thing is that we serve a God who can still heal the brokenness and use it to bring others closer to him. And that's exactly what he does here through Jesus, so much so that it grabs the attention of everybody else around him. And Jesus does this thing here that, just weird. All right, can we just be honest? Like, this is a little weird feeling, right? He's healed a lot of people on earth, some by touching them, some by saying a word, some from like miles away. And in this moment, Jesus decides that right now he's gonna spit on the ground, He's going to make mud, and he's going to smear it on this guy's eyes. 
Like for those of us who grew up in church, you're like, oh yeah, I know this story. Guys, that's weird. Like, let's just stop for a second and be like, Jesus, what are you doing right now? Like, this guy didn't even ask to be healed. He hasn't said anything. The disciples are the one who, like, drew attention to this guy. Like, can you imagine if you've been blind your entire life? You've got no idea who's around you or what's going on, and some random guy is rubbing spit dirt all up on your face. That's a little weird, right? Like, I would be really upset if I was just hanging out and, like, guys were just, like, giving me a weird facial makeover thing or right now with his spit. Like, there's some problems with that. And then Jesus goes on and he tells the guy, hey, go wash your face. No, duh, Jesus. Like, you just rubbed spit and, of course, what am I going to go do right now? He does the natural thing and he goes and he washes his face. Uh, there's actually, if we know the, the kind of the history here, there's some incredible symbolism that's really taken place uh, in that the Feast of Tabernacles and the name of the pool that this guy washes his face in. And we won't get into all of it, but, but basically it just points to the fact that Jesus is in fact the one doing the healing here. And it confirms that Jesus is who he claims to be because once this guy goes and he washes all the nasty spit dirt off of his face, he can see for the very first time ever. Like this guy's life has been changed before he even realized what was going on. Jesus found him and it changed everything for this guy. Can I tell you something? Jesus is working in your life in ways that you are not even aware of. I've had the privilege of sitting on some of the uh, elder meetings the past few months, and uh, don't tell them, but I'll let you guys peek behind the curtain here for a second. Uh, one thing that happens in every single meeting is what they call God sightings. God sightings. And it's a really cool thing where these guys get together, and, and before they dive into any of the business for the meeting, they just talk about these moments in the past few weeks where they have seen Jesus moving either in their life or somebody that they're close to. Moments that God is, is doing something in there. Maybe it's a, it's a chance encounter, chance encounter where people who had needs were connected with people who had either the means or the skills or the time to help out. Or maybe there's stories of children who are just given so much wisdom and truth to, to an older parent that tells them exactly what it is that they need to hear and be encouraged by at this time. Or maybe it's a story of, of a door that was open that had just been closed and sealed shut for years in somebody's life. And, and it's because they talk about this regularly and because the first few meetings when I would show up, I had no idea what was going on. And they'd say, where's your God sighting? And I was like, I don't know. What's going on here, right? And so what I do, I started paying attention. I started paying attention because I knew I was going to go to a meeting where they were going to say, how have you seen Jesus moving in your life? And I was like, I need to have an answer. These guys like Sign my paychecks and stuff. So like, let's do that, right? And I, what it did is it opened my eyes to realize, man, God is moving all of the time. All of the time. And so I've actually got like a note in my phone where something happens and I'm like, oh, I gotta write that down. I gotta write that down because I wanna bring that one up. That was a cool moment. I could see God was doing something right there. It's training my mind and my heart to just be aware that Jesus is moving. And when I'm more aware of it, guys, I worship better and I can trust more even when I don't get it. So you may be blind to what's going on in your life right now. You may be reserved to whatever struggle it is that you're going through is just how your life is gonna be from this point on. You may feel that you are unnoticed and cast aside, but let me tell you, man, Jesus is still working in your life. And when the time is right, he's gonna open your eyes. It may feel like dirt and spit 
but it's going to change your life because Jesus and Jesus is the point of our story. Let's keep reading what happens here in verse 8. It says, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. And others said, no, but it's like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went there and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I, I don't know. And they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And that was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. This is the thing, the miracle happens. And everybody is stunned. Jesus is nowhere to be found, and people want answers. See, blindness would have been pretty common at this point in time. Between diseases and lack of sanitation, having eye trouble or blindness would have been fairly common to have been around. And because of this, man, people want to know, like, who did this? How did he do it? Can he do it again? Like, most medical practices... Uh, had people trying goofy stuff all of the time. And in fact, spit was actually thought to have medicinal purposes to it, which is why people didn't like freak out when Jesus is loogieing on the ground and rubbing it on somebody because they thought there was something medicinal about spit. In fact, uh, one of the famous Greek orator from the second century, uh, Elias Aristides, wrote down all of the things that he tried to do to get healed from his sickness. And he did things like uh, worshiping a god of medicine, he would bathe in a river during the winter. He would do bloodletting from different parts of his body. He'd cover himself in mud and go sit in the temple courtyard. Like medicine was scarce. And medical knowledge was even more scarce. And so people wanted to find healing. And man, they would do whatever they could to do that. But in this case, man, it wasn't a thing. And it wasn't a practice. It was Jesus. And the Pharisees dismissed Jesus because They've had butted heads so many times and they really don't like him. And because here Jesus had broken one of their, their rules by kneading mud on the Sabbath. According to the rules on the Sabbath, you could not knead grain to make bread. And so Jesus needed mud and they were like, it's close enough. All right there, he's making mud pies. That's bad too, right? Others were more skeptical because if God didn't want Jesus healing on the Sabbath, then like, why did this guy get healed, Right? And so they asked the formerly blind man, like, what is, what is your thoughts on all of this? And he just kind of blurts out, like, man, Jesus is a prophet. In other words, Jesus is special, and he's got some kind of incredible connection to God. When something incredible happens in your life, who gets the credit? When, people, when you tell people the story of, of a new job or a new opportunity or if somebody who is sick that's gotten healed or a relationship that was repaired, like who gets the credit from that? Because we read this, it shouldn't be lost on us that the formerly blind man didn't go and like start collecting water and dirt because there was some specialness in the water or dirt. 
He didn't go around and tell everybody like some great eye-washing technique, like three squirts, rub in, and ta-da! That's how it works, guys. He didn't do any of those things. He didn't dive into the elements of spit to find out like, is there actually something in spit that's like clear eyes going on? None of that kind of stuff that he did. All of those things were, were used. All of those things had a purpose. They all played a part, but Jesus was the one who was in control. See, a lot of times when we tell our stories, we remember the things that were used and the techniques that played a part, but we seem to forget that Jesus is still instrumental to every single part of our lives. I've had countless friends and family members that have received medical and financial or whatever kind of help from very talented and kind people that have improved their life situation. And I am so thankful for them and their knowledge and their skills. But I know that there are vessels that God is using. Like I am thankful for, for scientists and medical professionals and first responders and financial advisors and, and generous donations and so much more. But ultimately, it is God who is working to make it happen. Like I don't want to belittle the contributions and the kindness and talents of others, but I know that it's Jesus who is moving in all of that because I know that Jesus is the point of our story. Look at verse 18. It says, The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. And so they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and they asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, meaning the Pharisees. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he'd be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. So the Pharisees are here, and they're really just trying to debunk Jesus. They've gone back and forth. They don't want Jesus getting any credit for anything. And they're trying to debunk that Jesus really is who he claims to be, this prophesied Messiah and son of God. And so they call these parents in and they begin to question him, wanting to know, hey, is this legit? Was this guy really blind? Was he really your son? What happened that he can see now? Is he leaving any details of this story out? Like help us out here a little bit. And the parents recognized that their son had been healed. And can see now for the very first time, but they also recognize that the Pharisees hate Jesus. And they are putting people out of the synagogue if they claim that Jesus is indeed who he says he is. Now being put out of the synagogue isn't like, you can't come to church next week. Like that's not what that means. It's basically like the synagogue was the center of community life and social life and worship. So to be put out of the synagogue meant that they were just a social pariah. They were just knocked out here. If they confessed that Jesus really did this, then they would have a change in their social standing. They would be labeled from here on out. It would get really, really uncomfortable. Does that sound familiar at all, that feeling? See, at times we have all felt insecure about sharing our story of how Jesus is working in our life. See, working at a church, uh, being a pastor is one of the greatest things of my life. 
like behind being a husband and a dad, I love the opportunity that I have to lead in a church. I love getting to meet some absolutely incredible people. I love getting to talk about the Bible. I love playing a role in watching people move towards Jesus and life transformation and taking new steps and, and all that is involved in that. It is really, really, really amazing. But if I'm being honest, it is a little hard to meet people outside of church sometimes. Like at some point in time, I'm gonna meet a neighbor, I'm gonna meet somebody and we're gonna be talking and it's gonna be going like really good and, and then they're gonna ask this one question. What do you do for a living? And it's like, oh man, I know this is gonna go. The next sentence I say is gonna drastically change the dynamic of this relationship. They're gonna do one of two things. They're gonna just change the subject and go, oh, cool. Do you like tuna fish or like figure something out, right? <laughs> or they're gonna go, oh man, I'm so sorry. I cursed when I was talking to you about my boss, right? It's like, dude, don't worry. I'm sure your boss is a butthole, <laughs> you know? <laughs> These are the things. Sometimes talking, sometimes talking about Jesus can make us feel scared or insecure or uncomfortable or, or worried. Like, what if we don't have all the answers? What if it changes how they see me? What if it changes the dynamics of our friendship? What if they put a label on me and we get concerned that the story about us is gonna be that we are some nut job full of hate that's better known by what we're against than what we're for, and so we just decide that we're gonna do nothing. We take a hint from these parents here and we avoid even talking about it. But what we fail to realize and what these parents failed to realize is that, man, we are not the point of our story. Jesus is the point of our story. Look at verse 24. It says, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And I love this guy right here. He answered them, I have told you already, you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Oh, I love that sarcasm. I love that right there. And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the, beginning, since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin and would teach us, and they cast him out. Man, this guy gets it. This guy just gets it. The Pharisees press him to try and make him downplay and disregard anything that Jesus had to do with his healing. And his answer is beautiful. And it's an amazing encouragement to you. I mean, look at verse 25. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. In other words, I don't have the answers. 
I don't know everything about Jesus. I don't even know how he did it. I just know that I had issues. Jesus showed up, and now I can see. Guys, that's the story. That's the story. That's the blind man's story. That's my story. That's your story. I was this. Jesus showed up, and it changed everything for me. And so many times we don't know what to say, or or we don't have the answers, or we don't have a good explanation. Like, it's okay. It's okay, because what you have is your story. And Jesus is the point of your story. Your story is valuable and interesting to those in your sphere of influence. And it is okay to admit at times when you just don't have the answers because what you have is Jesus and what Jesus has done for you. The rest is a journey of just growing towards him. And it's a journey that we're all on and it's a journey that we're all all over the place inside. Like this guy had a brief encounter with Jesus that changed his life. And he decided that what Jesus had for him was more valuable than what the Pharisees thought. It was more valuable than what rumors may have been out there. It was more valuable than being labeled crazy or whatever social cost may have been involved. He knew Jesus was better than any of that. And even though he didn't know everything, he had his story of Jesus. Like this whole series, we've been talking about this, and hopefully you've been praying for people in your life. People that need to have some some spit and some dirt just rubbed in their eyes so that they can be changed by Jesus. And hopefully you've listened to them, you've ate with them, you've been intentional about investing in them, and what they need from you now is your story of Jesus. See, we've had some pretty fun conversations uh, in our life group about this series. And one of the questions that came up is, hey, how do you effectively tell somebody about Jesus? Like, I care deeply about my coworkers and my family, and I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. How do you effectively tell somebody about Jesus? Like, what tools, what resources, what ideas do you use? And like, growing up, if you grew up in church, you may have well been taught those things. Like, we used to use the Romans road. We used to lead in a prayer. There were those little Bible tracks that looked like, uh, like $100 bills on the ground. Horrible idea, right? Like, I was mad picking those things up, right? Like, horrible idea. Here's the thing. I think we make it too difficult. I think we make it too difficult. It's not a sales pitch. It's not a scholarly debate. It's not a memorized script. It's a person who is loving Jesus and moving toward Jesus, talking about what Jesus is doing in their life. My story it's all about Jesus. And you know what? Maybe I tell a friend and like immediately they become a follower of Jesus. Maybe they just reject it completely and, and think I'm crazy. Maybe nothing changes and it's just another moment that the Spirit can use in their life. I don't know. I can't change their life anyway. So I've decided I'm just gonna share how Jesus has changed mine and the fact that he can change theirs too. It's simple, but it is still a little bit uncomfortable, right? I have no problem talking about my family or or college football or good coffee because, man, I love those things. And they're a huge part of my life. I've told hundreds and hundreds of stories about them before. 
when Jesus is your story, the core of your life, you're gonna be able to talk about him more and more. And pretty soon you're gonna have hundreds of stories of how Jesus is changing your life. It may feel risky or uncomfortable, but after you try it out, you're gonna see that it is pretty easy. Because after all, it's an eye-opening experience.